Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me at the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Um, I'm not going to have slides up, so I want you to open your Bibles and actually follow with me in your Bibles so you can see what I'm saying to you is, is there in the Bible. Um, so you can... You can, if you have your Bible on your smartphone or something, you can open it. Just don't be distracted by your mails and your WhatsApps and stuff. <laughs> um, I'm going to be reading from from the NIV. We're busy with a with a series exploring why, and today we're going to ask why live the gospel. So, obviously, our vision, uh, as we've been covering in the last month or so, is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. That's what we do. But how do we do it? How do we reach people? How do we make disciples? How do we raise up leaders? How do we plant churches? And, and the way we do it or, or that we um, articulate of how we do it is bringing gospel people and spirit together. So we say we live the gospel, love the people, and obey the spirit everywhere. So when you, when you bring people that you want to reach together, um, when you connect them with the gospel, the, the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, that's, that's when salvation happens. When, when you bring people in small group or in a church service or in fellowship, you know, in a loving community, you know, in contact with the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, that's when discipleship happens. And, and the same for leadership and, and, and church planting. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's our one move, you know, bringing people together um, with the gospel and the spirit. In other words, what, what we're saying is that, that all of the Christian life is simultaneously, on the one hand, living the gospel, so it's a truth encounter, loving people, so it's a love encounter, and obeying the spirit, you know, so it's a power encounter, all three at the same time. Um, and, and that is how we enter the kingdom, and that's how we grow in the kingdom. So we're just going to look at um, living the gospel. I just want to read you f- the first couple of verses from uh, the letter to Galatians. And what, what is, you know, um, a very powerful letter that has ever had a great impact in the in the history of the church. So it's, it starts off in verse one and says, "Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me." to the churches in Galatia. Notice that it, this is a letter not written just to one church, so it's not contextually specific. It's, it's written to a whole province of churches in the, in the Roman province of Galatia. So it's a, it's, it's a letter that's generally applicable. And then he says, Grace and peace to you. And, and by the way, just here, the focus of this letter was on the gospel because a bunch of Jewish Christians that came from James or that claimed to come from James in Jerusalem was saying, no, it's not enough to believe the gospel that Paul preaches. You must also be circumcised and keep the law. So that's sort of the background. And, and, and so the, the gospel is very central to this letter. And, and Paul, Paul, even here in his greeting, he starts by stating the gospel. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And then he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be accursed. Now, first thing I want you to notice is how important the gospel is to Paul. He talks explicitly about the gospel. Now, if you've read some of Paul's letters, you'll know he starts off and he says, you know, Paul an apostle and, you know, whoever's with me, you know, to the churches in Corinth or in Ephesus or in wherever, uh, grace and peace to you. And then he says, I thank my God and Father, you know, always in my prayers. You know, some other thanksgiving or prayer where he just blesses them or thanks God for them. Nothing like that in this letter. Paul is so upset that he just skips the niceties, the blessings and the prayers and the thanksgivings. He's so hot under the collar that he just says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. You know, it's the only letter, only letter from Paul in the whole Bible where he doesn't give a prayer or a thanksgiving. And it just shows you how seriously, seriously he takes the gospel, how serious he is about the gospel, and how upset he becomes when people start messing with the gospel, when they start perverting the gospel and twisting the gospel. And clearly what he, what he says is when you pervert the gospel, when you twist the gospel, how much can you change the gospel before it s- stops being the gospel? And Paul says there are different gospels which are really no gospel at all. It's not good news. It's not a gospel. So I, I just want you to see how seriously Paul takes the gospel, and therefore we should take the gospel seriously. To Paul, the gospel was absolutely central to Christianity. <clears throat> and the problem we have is that the gospel is so, the word gospel is so familiar to us, not just in church circles, but even, even in secular circles, they talk about gospel truth, you know. Even, even people who, who are not Christians will talk about this is the gospel truth. And it can become this fuzzy term that we all know about, but none of us understands in the same way or in the way that Paul understood it. And that's the danger, you know. Um, of, of these kinds of familiar Christian words is that they can lose their meaning to us. So what, is, what does the gospel mean? What is the, is the gospel? And one of the ways um, I always summarize the gospel, and, and, and I want to do it today as well, the gospel obviously is truth, but it's truth to look at, truth to look through, and truth to live out. Um, and especially that last point I want to emphasize because you might ask, okay, but I thought the gospel was just, you know, what you need to believe to become a Christian. And, and you're absolutely right. It is that, but it's a lot more than that. It's, it is truth to look at, but it's a lot more than that. It's also truth to look through. It's a worldview. It's like a set of glasses or spectacles that you put on that you can look at all of life through that you can interpret all of life through. Your worldview is, is the, the lens, the, the intellectual, philosophical lens that you view your life through. Now, most of us are not aware of our worldview, right? It's like the, the lens of your eye. You don't see it, but you see everything else through it. Now, your worldview is like that. You don't see it, but you see everything else through it. And Christians are supposed to have a gospel worldview, 
to look at the world through the gospel and then live out the gospel. So the gospel is is also a it, it it's it's not just the way to life, it's also a way of life. And that's why we talk about living the gospel. So the gospel is truth to look at. Um, firstly, I want you to see here um, how Paul summarizes the gospel in some way. He, he refers to, in this passage, to, to bad news. He refers to fake news, and he refers to good news. Okay? Bad news, fake news, and good news. Now, we, we, we understand, understand those concepts because, um, you know, in the news we see all all three of them as well. <laughs> we see bad news, a lot of bad news. <laughs> we see fake news. It's becoming all, you know, more and more common you know, on the internet and all over the place. But there's also some good news, praise God. <laughs> now, uh, Paul says here in verse 3, grace and peace to you from God the Father um, and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins on behalf of our sins, literally, to rescue us from the present evil age. So, so Paul says, firstly, there's bad news. There's bad news. And the bad news is individual and it's corporate. The bad news is that we have sinned against God. But the problem is not just that we have sinned, but that we are sinners. Okay? You, you, you don't... You're not a sinner because you sin. Rather, it's the other way around. You sin because you're a sinner. We are sinners, and therefore we sin as human beings. And, and, and that's the bad news on an on a, on a individual level. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned by failing to give God the glory due to him. And therefore we... Initially, we're not in right relationship with God. So that's bad news. Okay, the bad news is that through our sin, we have, our sins have separated us from God, and, and we're not in right relationship with Him. But God wants to give us grace. He wants to give us peace. God loves us. In fact, God's, God's problem, I, I, I was talking to someone yesterday um, at Oak House, and, and we were talking about... You know, the fact that so many people say, you know, if there's a good God who's all good and all powerful, why is there still evil in the world? Because if he's all good, he wants to destroy all evil. If he's all powerful, he's able to destroy all evil. So if all evil has not been destroyed, then either God is not all good or he's not all powerful or, or he's neither of the two. And the mistake that that reasoning makes is, they say, if God is all good and all powerful, he'll destroy all evil now. But the problem with that is the people saying it and demanding that God destroy all evil now pretend as if evil is something out there. <laughs> yes, the evil people, the Vladimir Putins and the, you know, the Adolf Hitlers and the, those evil people, you know, God must destroy them. Hang on. <laughs> The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says to the Jews who were pretty religious and compared to other nations living pretty good lives, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more <laughs> will 
Your heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Jesus says if people, even people who do good to their own families are actually evil. The, the problem is we become so used to the evil around us that it, it, it becomes normal to us and we don't even notice it and we don't even register it as evil. And we don't therefore register our own evil. So if God had to destroy all evil now, he had, he'd have to destroy the whole world. So God's dilemma is this. How does he destroy evil without destroying us? First, he has to save us from our evil. And that's why Christ died on behalf of our sins. So that even though we've committed sins, we can be forgiven. But, but it's not only an individual problem. Evil is also a corporate problem. We live in the present evil age. The age that we live in is evil. The whole age that we live in is tainted with evil. The world, is, it's like a river flowing in an evil direction. And if you want to not be evil, you have to f- swim against the stream. It's not easy. It's not easy. The world will always take you, the current of the world will always take you away from God and towards evil. And so the bad news is that both individually and corporately there's evil in the world, there's sin in the world, which we need to be rescued from. Okay? The, the fake news is that there's anything that there's, the fake news is that there's something that we can do to save ourselves. And, and, and that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. And when I say religion, I don't only mean official, um, formal religions like Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or um, you know, whatever other religion there might be. I also mean informal religions like atheism or agnosticism or secularism. Those are also religious beliefs. Atheists believe if I pretend that there is no God, <laughs> then I will be saved from him. <laughs> then he will not be there. Okay? It's also a belief system. Darwinism, evolution, is, is a belief system. Okay? Um, a lot of political belief systems um, out there. And, and people think if I, if I do the right stuff, I can be saved. If I do good things, I can be saved. And that would be possible if God were not completely just. But God is so just that he has to punish every sin. Think about this for a moment. If, if someone, if, say, say if I were a murderer and a rapist and I was caught red-handed, I'd, I'd raped someone, I'd, I'd murdered them, and, I, and, and I'd been caught, caught in the act red-handed and there's no doubt that I'm guilty. And I stand before the judge and, and the judge says to me, you know, how do you plead? And I say, guilty. I would say, no, I was caught red-handed. You know, I'm guilty. But, um, Your Honor, um, I also give lots of money to charities, you know, like, like orphanages and, and all kinds of good causes. And, and I, I help people. And, and, and you know, I, I do job creation and all of those good things. Is the judge going to say, oh, well, in that case... It's okay. <laughs> you can go free. <laughs> no, of course not. Just because you did some good things doesn't mean you're no longer guilty of rape and murder if you've done those things. So if that's true in a human court of law, how much more is that true before God? Who knows 
all crimes and all sins. So um, the fake news that, and, and every other, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion says there's something you can do to save yourself. The gospel is the only thing that says only God can save you. One of my f- favorite sayings is, is by Jonathan Edwards. He said it this way. He says, the only thing a Christian contributes to his salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. <laughs> so the bad news is that there's evil in the world, individual and, and corporate. The fake news is that we can save ourselves from that evil. The good news is that Jesus rescues us from this evil age. The, the fake news is, is that there are different gospels. Now, here's the thing. Paul says, basically, that you will believe a gospel. Either you'll believe the biblical gospel about what Jesus did to save you, or you'll believe some other gospel about what you can do to save yourself or what someone else can do. Because either Jesus is going to save you or you're going to look for some other savior. And if you replace salvation through the grace of Christ, not through your works or anyone else's works, but through the grace of Christ, through his work, with anything else, Paul says it's no gospel at all. Because he talks here about another gospel. But then he says, but uh, you get, uh, in the Greek you get the word another, you get two versions of it. You get heteros, like heterosexual or something like that, which means uh, another one of a different kind. And then you get alos, which is another one of the same kind. So when he says a different gospel, he's talking about a heteros gospel. And then he says, which is not an alos. It's not another one of the same kind. It's, it's, it's a completely different gospel. But, but the point is, there are many gospels out there, and you will believe good news. You will, they, you will believe something that gives you hope and that gives your life purpose. Either it's the, the gospel that Paul preached, or it's some other gospel, which is actually no gospel at all. So, the gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. Euangelion. The word literally means good news. And it's important to know that it's good news, not good advice. Good news about what Jesus did to save us, not good advice about what we must do to save ourselves. Okay? So the gospel is truth to look at, and we can see it here in Scripture. We can see, we can read Scripture, and we can look at the gospel, and we can receive it. And I want to just ask you, what gospel do you look at? What, what gospel do you receive? Now, let me just put it this way. If you take a, a banknote, how, how do you know it's real? How do you know it's, it's a genuine 50 rand note? There are all kinds of signs on it. You know, there's a watermark, there's you know, all kinds of stuff that are built in. And if you want to teach people, you know, when they teach people to recognize fakes, they don't show them a lot of fakes. They show them the genuine article. And the better they know the genuine note, the more easily they can recognize the fake that deviates, that doesn't have the signs of the genuine note. How much, the gospel, if the gospel is truth to look at, how much have you looked at the gospel? Do you know it well enough so that when the fake comes along, and it will, 
on a daily basis, the fake will come along. That when the fake comes along, the fake gospel comes along, that you can actually recognize the fake as a fake and reject it. Do you know the, the gospel note well enough? Have you looked at that truth long enough and deeply enough so that you can recognize it? Your salvation depends on it, and the salvation of the people that you minister to depends on it, because only the true gospel can save you. A fake gospel, a false gospel, cannot save you. So the gospel is truth to look at, but it's also truth to look through. I want to read you... um, I just want to read to you uh, from from, uh, uh, Galatians 2, verse... Which one will I read first? Let me read verse 20 first. Oh, in fact, let me, let, me read, uh, chapter, yeah, let me read verse 20 first. It says, Paul speaking, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel gives you a certain way of looking at the entire world, including yourself. And um, one of my favorite stories, which I've told before, so um, let me bear with me if you've heard it before, is, is of, a, of a play they put up in Broadway um, of, I can't remember what the play was, but the, the, the leading lady, the leading actress, wasn't... A brilliant actress. She was good, and she was good-looking, but she wasn't a brilliant actress. And, and, and as they were rehearsing, the, the, the whole play was struggling and stuttering, and, and it just didn't work. But the supporting, the, the lady who played the supporting role was a brilliant actress, and she was doing really great. And then at some stage, the, the director just said, listen, listen, let's just swap roles. And they knew each other's lines very well because they'd been practicing so long. So, the, so the, the lady was playing the supporting role, played the leading role, and all of a sudden everything fell into place. And because she was such a brilliant actress, everyone else was just lifted through her performance. And even the lady who, who used to play the, the, the leading role, who was now playing the supporting role, acted better because of this other lady. And... What I like about that story is our lives, if you can see your life as a play, your life, my life, will not work if we're the hero of the story. If we make Jesus the supporting actor and us the leading actor. And we all tend to do that. We all tend to make ourselves the center of our lives, the hero of our story. We all, and that's why the Bible says, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, what must he do? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, you step out of the leading role and let Jesus step into the leading role. You stop being the hero of your own life and make Jesus the hero of your life. You stop being the king of your life and make Jesus the king and lord of your life. And our lives don't work when we are the lord or the hero of our story. It only works if Jesus is. Everything else falls into place. And... That's what the gospel is. Us as supporting actors coming around Jesus as the hero of the story and making him look good and him making our lives work. Um, Paul says here, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, by by all measures, Paul was one of the greatest men who ever lived. I mean, if you think about the fact that 
he, 2,000 odd years ago, planted, started planting churches in a very hostile environment. And now there are churches all across the world. Churches that are, in a sense, spiritual descendants of the churches that Paul planted. There are more people in churches than in any other institution. And the, the institution of the church does more with less budget than any other institution or government. And, and, and that's a fact. You can go and look at the evidence and you'll see it. It's an empirical fact. So by, by any measure, Paul is one of the greatest men who ever lived. But does he put out his chest and say, look at me, you know, what, look at what I've done, look at what I am doing? No. When he talks about himself, when he talks about his life, he talks in such a way that Jesus is the hero of his story. He doesn't see himself as the hero. He sees Jesus as the hero. Why? Because he's looking at his life through the gospel. The gospel is not just truth to look at. It's truth to look through. And when you look through the gospel at your life, you'll see Jesus as the hero of your story. Do you see Jesus as the hero of your story? Are you trying to actively live in such a way that you point to Jesus as the hero of your story? Are you inviting others to come and make Jesus the hero of their story by looking through at their lives through the gospel? That's, what, that's part of what it means to live the gospel. Let me ask you this way. Are there things that you do on a daily and a weekly basis because sometimes you still see yourself as the hero of your story? And you still live as if your life is mostly about you. Mostly to please you. Mostly to satisfy you. I think all of us, to some extent, have to say yes. There are still certain things that I do where I'm very self-centered, where I've not denied myself. But that's why we don't only look at the gospel, we look through the gospel, and we believe the gospel, and we try and live out the gospel denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. Um, in, in Galatians 3, verse 1, I, I just want to read this to you as well. This is, I love this scripture. Um, Paul, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you tr now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain or for nothing, if it really was in vain? So again I ask you, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of law? or by your believing what you heard. So he starts off and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And the word bewitched there um, literally means evil eye. Who has given you an evil eye? Okay, and then he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as, or graphically portrayed as crucified, if you read in, in the original Greek. So, so Paul is talking about eyes here. Either you're going to have an evil eye that looks 
at the world, at yourself and the whole world through some, something, some other lens than the gospel, or you can have a good eye because Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed to you as crucified and you look at the world through the gospel, you're going to have a good eye that sees yourself and everything else through the gospel. Can you see that? Can you see what Paul is saying? He's saying you're going to have one lens or the other. You're going to either have an either eye, evil eye, either an evil, um, what shall we call it, um, non-gospel eye, or you'll have... Um, sort of an evil bewitched eye because the world has bewitched you or you're going to have a good gospel eye because you've looked at the gospel and you've until you've you're able to look through the gospel okay um but notice what he says here he says um before your very eyes jesus christ was clearly portrayed as crucified and and notice he's saying this to a mostly gentile church none of whom were in israel when jesus was crucified none of them none of whom or, or very few, maybe there were a few Jews amongst them, but, but very few of whom actually literally saw Jesus being crucified. Yet Paul preached the gospel so well that in the eyes of their spirit, before their eyes, their spiritual, the eyes of their heart, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified to such an extent that they could, if they wanted to, look at... Now, these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who were saying, no, you must not only believe the gospel, you must also be circumcised and keep the law. They were saying, you're not properly saved unless you've done this. And Paul says, no, no, no. Look at yourselves through the eyes of the gospel, through the lens of the gospel. Look at what happened in the beginning of, of, your, of your Christian walk. Did you receive the Spirit, which is the crux of becoming a Christian, by works of law or by believing what you heard, by believing the gospel you heard? Having begun in the Spirit... Do you want to now be completed by the flesh? Do you now want to go to, from the true gospel of beginning in the spirit which you, whom you receive by faith in the gospel? Do you want to now be completed in the flesh through your own works of the law? You, 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 do you really want to go from the true gospel to a fake gospel? Do you really want to go from God saving you to you now saving yourself? Do you really want to do that? And the reason you want to do that is because someone is bewitching you and giving you an evil eye. You're no longer looking at yourself through the eyes of the, through the lens of the gospel. So the gospel is truth to look at, but it's also truth to look through. It's a whole world view. You can see yourself and other people through the gospel. Do you look at yourself through the gospel? What do you tell yourself about yourself? Is it the gospel story? Do you say like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When the devil challenges your salvation and say, look at you, you know, you useless, lousy excuse for a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, but look what you're doing again. Letting Jesus down all the time. Do you look at yourself and say, oh yes, my works are not good enough, therefore I cannot be a Christian. Or do you say, my works is not what saved me in the first place. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not what I have done, but what Jesus has done for me that saved me. And, and, and that is what will continue to save me. And when you look at other people, do you, 
Do you, do you see them as annoying, irritating people who just get in your way and block what you want? Or do you see them as people whom Jesus loves, whom Jesus died for, whom he shed his blood for, and therefore precious? Sometimes it's the people closest to us, you know, our spouses or our children or our parents, that it's most difficult for us. What do you say to the people ar- ar- um, around you? What, what kind of attitude comes out? Is it an attitude that comes from looking at them through the lens of the gospel or looking at them through bewitched eyes, evil eyes? So the gospel is truth to look at, it's truth to look through, but it's also truth to live out. Um, in, let's, let's read um, Galatians 2 from this, I'm just going to read from verse 11. It says, when Cephas, that's Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, came from Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, now, now notice it's talking about uh, Jews didn't eat with Gentiles because Jews only ate kosher food. So they didn't eat pork, they didn't eat you know, certain seafoods, anything unclean they didn't eat. So they had to buy it at a sp- special market as well because if clean food, you know, kosher clean food touched unclean food, it became unclean. So you couldn't buy it at the Gentile market either. Because it would become, you know, it, it would become unclean by just by being in the market. So Peter was sitting at the Gentile non-kosher table and eating Gentile non-kosher food. He was eating his bacon. <laughs> because he understood that that has already been fulfilled in Christ. But then when certain men came from James, who was the leader of the church, or who claimed to come from James, uh, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, some, some Jewish Christians, they started putting pressure on Paul, uh, on Peter to now, you know, what's going on with you, Peter? Why aren't you eating kosher food? Why are you sitting at the non-kosher table? And they created like a kosher table, and Peter withdrew from the Gentile non-kosher table and went to sit at the kosher table. So it's, it's, a, it's an issue about food and eating. Okay? And yet, Paul confronts Peter about it. And he says, this is serious. He says, um, but when they arrived, these uh, Ju- Judaizers, um, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles uh, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Ooh, hypocrisy. So that even... So that by the hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, who knows the gospel, who ought to know better. You know, because he's ministered this gospel with, with Paul. And then verse 14, which is the important one, it says, When I saw that they were not acting, or literally in the, in the um, Greek, walking in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Um, notice, he doesn't say, Paul, you be, oh, Peter, you're being a racist. Okay? Even though he, he could have said that, he could have addressed it in that way. He's saying to him, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. And the implication of that is quite stunning. The implication of that is that there's a line of truth that runs through the gospel that intersects with every area of your life. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ is walking in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of your life. In your relationships, in your work life, in just everything. 
how you, how you rest, how you do friendship. That's why in, in other scriptures, like, let me just give you two examples if you want to, I'm not going to read those, but just if you want to um, look them up for yourself. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 8 and 1 Peter 4 verse 17, it talks about obeying the gospel. The gospel is not just truth to look at or truth to look through, but it's also truth to live out. You have to obey the gospel. You have to live the gospel. Um, in, in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, As you received Christ Jesus as Lord. How did you receive him as Lord? Through the gospel. So continue to walk in him. So the way in is the way on. The gospel, which is the way in, is also the way on. Okay? Now, um, Notice that this is the Apostle Peter who walked with Jesus for a couple of years while during Jesus' earthly ministry. And by the time Paul writes Galatians, has been an apostle, which is around 50 AD. So he's been, Peter's been an apostle for about 20 years. And after being an apostle for 20 years, Paul st Peter still is not walking in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of his life. Now, if he was an apostle took decades to learn to walk in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of life, then it's going to take us a while as well. Okay? Do you know, have you looked at the gospel so long and so hard that you eventually start looking through the gospel at yourself and everyone else so that you can live out the gospel in every area of life? Now, just, just think what our lives and what our community will be like if all of us can truly live out the gospel in every area of our lives. How do you think other people will treat you if they constantly see you as someone that is so precious that Christ died for you? Someone in whom the Holy Spirit is busy working and changing them to be, become more like Jesus. How do you think people will treat you? How do you think you'll treat other people? How would you relate differently? How would you have an argument with your spouse differently? If you remind yourself, if you look at your spouse through the lens of the gospel, and you remind yourself that your spouse is someone that is so precious that Christ died for them, yet... So sinful that Christ had to die for them. <laughs> so if you, if you, through the gospel lens, look at them and expect them to be a sinner, but a sinner who is saved, being saved by grace. And if you s treat them not only as they are, but as Christ is making them. If you look at them and say, they have been crucified with Christ. It's no, it's no longer she who lives, but Christ lives in her. And the life she now lives in the flesh, she lives by faith in the Son of God who loved her and died and gave his life for her. So if Christ loved her, I must love her. Okay? How will it ca cause you to argue or handle conflict differently? I really think this is so powerful. If we can become so 
saturated with the gospel, that it affects every area of our lives, then the world will look at us and say, wow, they are like their Lord. They are willing to make sacrifices at great cost to themselves in order to benefit others. They are willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage others because that is what their Lord did for them and they're living out what their Lord did for them. They're living out the gospel every day in every area of their lives. That is the vision that Jesus has for his church. That is the vision that Jesus has for us. That is what our children need to learn. And that is what will change the world ultimately. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.